Tell them I feel better already. Come on, tell somebody I feel better already. Everything is all right. Can you say it with me? Everything is all right. Y'all remember that old song that said, what do you think about Jesus? He's all right. Tell somebody next to you, everything is all right. It's all working for your good. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'm not going to be here very long. Before we go into it, I was weeping there looking at Jennifer Casa. Um, she started... with me in 1993 and she is a intercessor an incredible visionary and uh, to see what she's doing in togo africa it just really blesses my heart when she was in bible college in san antonio she came to our church she walked up to me one day and she said i want to be your spiritual daughter how can i do that and i said you have to intercede for me one of my um Staff members called me one day and they said, Jennifer Casa's up here praying. And I said, well, listen to her very carefully and see what she's saying. They called me back and they said, she keeps calling your name in prayer. Twelve hours later, the same staff member called me back and said, Jennifer Casa's still praying. I said, where is she? And they said, she's in the same spot. I said, well, what is she saying? And he said, she keeps calling your name in prayer. I've watched her pray upwards of 18 hours in inter intercession for me and our church. She's an intercessor. It's no wonder that she's reaching thousands and thousands of children in Togo, Africa. So this really moved me today. And I'm very, very grateful for the video and you all helping us to support her and what she's doing. I'm sorry for being emotional. Genesis chapter 37 and verse number 12. Um, I, I'm going to try to preach this quickly, and I really doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> verse 12. And his brethren went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said unto Joseph, say that name, Joseph. Do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you. Circle those four words. I will send you unto them. And he said to him, here am I. Say that with me. Here am I. Would you just lift one hand and say that with me? Here am I. And he said to him, go, I pray thee. See whether it be well with thy brethren and well with the flocks and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron and he came to Shechem and a certain man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked Joseph saying, what are you looking for? And he said, I seek my brothers. That's strong. I seek my brothers, tell me, I pray thee, where do they feed the flock? And the man said, they are departed from here. And I heard them say that they were going to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers. And Joseph found his brothers in Dothan. 
And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to slay him. And Joseph said, and they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast has devoured him. And we shall see what shall become of his dream. And Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, don't kill him. And Reuben said unto them, shed no blood. But just cast him into the pit that is in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him that he, we might rid him of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Our key verse this morning is verse 19. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, Here Comes That Dreamer. Say that to four people around you. Here comes that dreamer. Just go ahead and do that. Let us pray one more time and we'll get right into the word. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for the intimacy of worship we've enjoyed. The intensity of praise that excited us. And now we ask you for insight into your word. Help us to see things we didn't read today. Help us to hear things that the preacher does not preach. Let revelation run its course in this sanctuary. Just run up and down these aisles and illuminate the eyes of our understanding. Set our hearts ablaze with passion to advance your kingdom in this earth. For I hear you say that the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. I pray for a forceful anointing in this building today. And I thank you for an advancement of your assignment in this earth through these, your people. I break every generational curse. I dismiss every generational spirit. And I thank you that there is a lift in this house today. Have your way. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, praise the Lord. Before you sit down, can you clap your hands and shout to Jesus one more time? You can't give him enough praise. You cannot give him enough praise. Come on, look back over your life and find one thing. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Before you sit down, tell one more person, here comes that dreamer. And you may be see it. The introduction of this message may be a little lengthy, so I'll ask you to be patient with me. This message is dear to my heart today and is born out of not just experience, but encounters with the presence of God. With that being said, the Bible says we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And the way I would like to cross the threshold and enter into this message today is via a word of my personal testimony. See, I was born in the deep south. I have six siblings, two of which have gone on to be with the Lord along with my mom and dad. My parents, along with five 
of my siblings were all born and raised in what is referred to as the Delta of Mississippi. My dad was raised during the Depression. I find it very interesting that some of the best food we enjoy today, collard greens. Can I talk to you about cornbread? Chicken and dumplings. Some of the best food we enjoy today were born in the Depression or were made during the Depression. I remember clearly stories my dad would tell me about racism during those days. I remember one in particular when he looked at me and he said, Ricky, you don't understand how strong racism was in Mississippi. And I said, Dad, I was about 10 years old. I said, can you explain it to me? And he said, I remember many times seeing a white man on a sidewalk walking one direction and a black man on the same sidewalk walking toward him. And when the black man would approach the white man, he would step off the sidewalk, take off his hat and put it over his chest, and he would hold his head down, and he would just say, Sir, 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 until the white man passed by. Then he would put his hat back on, and he would continue on his journey. See, racism doesn't mean anything to you until you've had to face it. Racism doesn't just come in one direction. And racism doesn't come from just one color. But racism is real. Hmm. I remember in the fifth grade, my mom called me to the living room and she said, there's someone on the phone that wants to talk to you. You remember those old rotary phones? <laughs> you dial it in. <laughs> and my mom had bought one of them long cords <laughs> that you've already stretched the curls out of. When I got on the phone, I said, hello, and I heard the voice on the other end say, this is Randolph. And I just got silent, and he said, hello, and I stretched the cord. And I tried to get behind the wall of our kitchen where my mom and dad couldn't hear me because, you see, Randolph was black. My dad walked by, and he heard the voice through the earpiece. And after I hung up the phone, he asked me who was on the phone, and I told him. And I was disciplined that day because I talked to a black boy. On the phone. Don't give up on my dad. My dad was born again when he was 42 years old. And you will never meet a man that loved all people more than my dad did. You see, my dad was born to be racist. He was the epitome 
of the statement made by Nelson Mandela that goes like this. No one is born hating another person because of the color of his skin or his background or his religion. People must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. And oh, how my dad learned to love. The look on his face when I told him graduating from high school that I'd received a call from a, America's top black evangelist to travel with him and to carry his Bible and to drive him all over the country. The look on my dad's face as tears welled up in his eyes and he called the name of that preacher and he said, you're going to work with him and it was like a little boy full of surprise. And I said, yeah, dad. And under that man's mentorship, I can remember going to Church of God in Christ, Church of God in Christ, and Church of God in Christ. I remember hearing the, the sound of a B3 for the first time. I remember stomping wood floors until the dust started flying up. See, that's how I was raised in church. I was raised in the black church where the church mothers put their jiffies on right when service ended. That's house shoes. And took their heels and put them in their purse. And they would go to the kitchen to cook for the preacher and his guests. And there was always fried chicken and peach cobbler. Oh, how I remember those days. It's where I learned to pray. It's the first time I ever heard words like travailing in prayer. Moaning in the spirit. Yeah, since I was 18 years old, that's how I learned church. If you had church without a tambourine, you didn't really have church. And not just any tambourine, it only needed two or three little silver things on it. And if you've ever seen anybody that really knows how to play a tambourine, it'll set you free. Can I get a witness in the building today? Martin Luther King Jr. has inspired me for 37 years. Not just because of his preaching or his skills as an orator, but because of this dream. His dream still reminds me of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 where Jesus said, Father, make them one, even as you and I are one. Martin Luther King's dream was twofold. First of all, it had to do with integration, and secondly, it had to do with this thing called the law of interrelated reality. And I've studied this philosophy very deeply. See, integration is about maturity. The root word for integration is integer, which means to be completely whole or to be a mature person. Hmm. It's where we get the word integrity. 
Integration does not produce integrity. Integrity produces integration. And you cannot be fully mature until you've learned to appreciate and value diversity and integration. His dream was a dream that was built on interrelated reality. And we learned that when he says these words, all mankind is tied together. All life is interrelated. And we are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. We are tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. See, tomorrow, this nation is going to pause and take a moment to acknowledge and celebrate a man that some hate and others admire. Regardless of your personal opinion about Martin Luther King Jr. as a man, what he preached and talked about was the heart of God. It was a dream from God. I truly believe in the very depths of my heart that we are enjoying the dream right here at this church. And I say to Quest Church two words, dream on. Tell your neighbor, dream on. Did not this baritone voice of pinpoint precision say, I have a dream that little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. It was more than rhetoric and rhythm of speech. It was something that even the vilest men could not ignore. This order, orator extraordinaire strategically fabricated his dream in sermons and speeches that secured some, but it shocked others. He marched from one city to the next proclaiming, I have a dream. And you must dream too. Tell your neighbor, dream on. For you and I, dreaming is not an option, but it is an opportunity. Dreaming is not a remote fantasy. It is a divine responsibility. Nations are changed by dreamers. Dreamers who brave the cold valleys of despair to climb mountains of destiny. Reformation only occurs when we ascend the mountain of determination and when we have a heart filled with relentless courage. Dreamers never settle for the lush meadows of self-gratification and contentment. They are driven by their cause and propelled forward by their purpose. They look at rejection as a sign of motivation. They hear words of discouragement as reminders that they must go on and that they must dream on. Thank God for dreamers. Thank God for the mountain. Thank God for a church that is not afraid to integrate. Thank God for a people that is willing to cast off traditions of hate and racism and lay down every prejudice. Thank God for a congregation that will join hands and sing, you're my brother, you're my sister, take me by the hand and together we will work until he comes. Today, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the land looking for a man, looking for an assembly, looking for a people. Yes, looking for a church that is willing to face both ridicule and scorn. A family born from the seed of God and not the will of man. 
that will smile in the face of, of adversity and say the dream is on and you cannot turn it off. I dare you to jump up and look at somebody and tell them the dream is on and you cannot turn it off. Come on. They, they don't like you. Look at somebody else. Tell somebody that likes you. The dream is on. And you cannot turn it off. All right, let me get into this word because the chemistry of conceiving and believing and receiving is the makeup of a true visionary. The chemistry of believing, conceiving, and receiving is the chemistry of a true visionary. You must have the ability to see the end and make a start. You will never change location without a destination. You will never leave where you are right now until you know where you want to be. The text. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. The NIV says, Here comes that dreamer. See, dreams begin in a seed form called thought. And they're carried in the room of imagination. It is impossible to conceive a dream from God if you refuse him the intimacy he requires. I'll say it again. It is impossible to receive a dream from God if you refuse him the intimacy he requires. See, the makeup of dreamers are very conspicuous. I chose Joseph today as our character. Joseph chapter, or Genesis chapter 37, the Bible says of Joseph in verse 9 that he dreamed another dream and told his brothers and said, Behold, listen to it carefully, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father, and he told it to his brothers. His father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down to you in this earth? His brothers envied him. But watch this. His father observed what he said. Everybody say dream on. Dream on. Yeah, dreaming is powerful. I chose Joseph because his name means to add. Joseph means to continue to do the thing you're called to do. <laughs> Joseph. See, Joseph is unique. Because he walked in the favor of his father. Joseph is more interested in his character than he is his reputation. Joseph took care of his character and he left his reputation in the hand of God. Strong. And we can preach on all of those things. But what stands out? about Joseph more than any other thing is this idea that he was a dreamer. See, a dream is not a fantasy. A dream is your opportunity to forge your future. Dream on. A dream is not a wish. A dream is your picture 
of where you want to be and a picture of who you want to be. In the Hebrew, the terminology is interesting because it means to bind together firmly to the point of becoming plump or bigger than. Interesting. Up until the 13th century, the word dream had to do with melody or music. In other words, it was impossible to talk about a dream without a rhythm, without a sound. It is dreams that cause us to expand ourselves. It is dreams that make us stretch and grow. It is dreams that with every return to your heart and mind, it makes you feel like you have music in your soul. It brings you happiness and hope at the same time. <laughs> I remember me sitting at that desk at White Hills Elementary School, fifth grade. Miss Devencenti was my teacher. I thought she was just as cute as she could be. She was single. And I was in the fifth grade. <laughs> and Miss Devon Cindy would get up there and put that chalk to that chalkboard. And I would just look at her. <laughs> she wasn't Italian, she was Italian. <laughs> and one day I turned around, she turned around and she looked at me and she said, Ricky, why are you smiling so big? And I said, because your handwriting is just so wonderful, Miss D. She didn't know that I was daydreaming. About one day, I would have a wife. A brunette. Brown eyes. And I was daydreaming. You ever daydreamed? That's when you dream with your eyes wide open. A dream is a visionary creation of your own imagination. Something notable for its beauty or its excellence. That's what makes it not a nightmare. A dream is a strongly desired goal or purpose. A dream. The prophet Joel talked about a season when God would pour out his spirit on all flesh and that there would be dreams and visions. He said, I will give visions to young men and dreams to older men. And the word visions here, the etymology of the Hebrew is very interesting because it means a revelation that comes by way of a dream. What started as a dream becomes the vision for your life. And Joseph was a man that carried not just a dream, but a dream that he knew would become a reality. And I came by to tell you this morning, welcome to 2020. God is about to manifest in reality what you've been carrying as a dream in your spirit. If it doesn't happen in 2020, you have to believe that the dream is destined for maybe this decade. But when it's your time for your dream to come to pass, hell or high water cannot stop 
the manifestation of the thing you've been carrying. So I came by to tell you, dream on. Keep on dreaming. Keep on believing in Jesus' name. But watch this. This is Joseph. Every dream that is born in heaven must pass through the hands of conspiracy on earth. Wait a minute, Pastor Rick. Genesis 37, verse 17. And the man said, they're not here. They went to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. When they saw him afar off, listen to the vocabulary. Even before they came near, they conspired against him to slay him. Now, I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that sounds like prejudice to me. It's prejudging. They saw him afar off and made a plan before they ever got close to him. Isn't it amazing that we judge people that we're not even close to? While he was still afar off, they drew conclusions about him. How about you taking a little time Help me, Jesus, to get close enough to people to know them and stop believing what you've been told about them. They conspired against him. See, I came by to tell you something today. Everyone is not with you. And everyone is not for you. Sorry to inform you, but everybody don't like you. When he got to where they were supposed to be, he found out they weren't there. They had moved. They were supposed to be in Shechem. That's where their dad told them to go. That's where the father told them to go. They were not in Shechem. Shechem means the place of carrying the burden. Shechem is the place of distributing the weight. They were supposed to be operating in a place of carrying their part of the load. But they were in Dothan. And Dothan means their own decree and making up their own laws and living by their own feel or feeling. Stop operating out of your feeling. Start learning to operate out of faith and fact. Stop saying, I feel like maybe that is happening. I don't matter what you feel. What matters is if it's fact and are you living by faith. So I came today to dismiss you from your emotions and tell you to tap into a devotion with God so that you're able to discern what is real and what is not real because people are conspiring via principalities, powers, and rulers to bring forth your demise. Preach in the building, Pastor Rick. They were supposed to be working with the Father, but they're doing their own thing. Let me help you this morning. The last people you want to share your dream with is those who are in the wrong place spiritually. Woo! The last people you want to share your dream with is people who are operating in direct disobedience to the Father. 
You cannot connect a divine dream to a disobedient people. They were in Dothan. They were supposed to be in Shechem. Be careful who you share your aspirations with. Be careful who you share your dreams with. Let me help you. If they tolerating you and not celebrating you, you might want to reconsider divulging all of your hopes to them. You're not assigned to people that tolerate you. You are assigned to people that love you, that believe in you, and that want the best for you. Let me pause right now and let's thank the Lord for dreamers today. Amen. Can I continue? I think I will. So the first thing he had to face is conspiracy. Then the second thing he had to face is contradictions. Every dream must have the DNA to pass through conspiracy and contradiction. Hmm. You must have the fortitude in your dream that it can make it through contradiction. Contra is against. Diction is words. Words that are spoken against your direction. Contradiction. Genesis 37, 19, the brothers said to one another, behold, this dreamer is coming. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, cast him into the pit, and we'll lie. We'll say that an evil beast did it. We want to know what will become of his dreams. You know what we always remember about Joseph? And we preach these things. Joseph was cast into a pit. Ha! Joseph was thrown into prison. Ha! He was lied on by Potiphar's wife. But ultimately, he's promoted to Pharaoh's right hand. And we preach from the pit to the palace. You can make it. But what we fail to really take note of is how all this trouble started. He was attacked not by his enemies. He was attacked by his own brothers. Many times it's not your enemies that will despise you is your own brothers. So I started thinking, why, why do brothers get so mad? Look at David and his brothers. David's just out there to kill a giant. And it's his brothers that question him. What are you doing here? And David's like, what's up with you? I just showed up with cheese and bread trying to help you, brother. I came to help a brother out. And now you mad at me. I just showed up with food, but now I see my future. And my future rests in that giant that you're running from. He's intimidating you and intriguing me, and you mad at me because I'm about to kill him, and you know it. So before you get mad with me, deal with my purpose in the earth because my purpose is to take out the giant 
that is intimidating you to hide in a cave. Tell your neighbor, I'm here to do my thing. Tell them, I'm here to work the work of God. And they got mad at him. Same with Joseph's brothers. When the father begins to bestow favor, some folks do not know how to handle the favor that's on your life. But daddy didn't help. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm going to get away from my notes. Daddy didn't help because an ordinary tunic is sleeveless and to your thighs. But theologians will tell you that Joseph's robe had long sleeves and reached all the way to the ground and it was full of multicolors. It's loud. Joseph's robe had a volume knob on it and he kept it on 10. So every time he shows up, they see him from a long way off and they recognize daddy favored him. Isn't it something that the favor on your life exposes the heart of the enemy that's against you? They, you, they were your brothers until favor showed up on you. They were for you until they saw you getting ahead and they thought they knew you well enough that you don't deserve the favor that you have and they're mad because God did not ask them for permission to put a blessing on you. Came by to tell you, if you're favored by God, don't get into a fight with your brothers. Just smile and keep doing what God called you to do. I wasn't going to preach this morning, ha, but I feel my help coming right now. And I'm here to tell you, if God has put his favor on you, stop apologizing for it. His anger lasts but a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. Stop apologizing for promotion. Stop apologizing for your ship. Stop apologizing for God giving you breakthroughs in your life. If you are favored, you are favored. You didn't even ask for it. God just dropped it on you. Wear it and wear it well. And don't worry when the people closest to you start turning against you. Favor has a way of exposing the motive of everybody in your life. If you feel like you got some favor for 2000, and I feel a Holy Ghost for 2020, I double dog dare you to jump up and give God praise like you know this is your year of favor. Crazy favor, promotions and raises and bonuses. Ideas and innovation, ingenuity. God is releasing favor on you. Throw your hands up and shout, thank God, I'm favored. Let me finish this. Whew. So favor is always doing two things. Favor is attracting your connections and exposing your enemies. Hmm. Wow. In Genesis 37, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. Watch what the Bible says. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him, they hated him and would not speak peaceably to him. Verse 23, it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph out of his coat. 
and his coat of many colors that was on him. Verse 31, and they took Joseph's coat and dipped it in blood. And they sent the coat back to the father and said, your son is dead. Whew. The character of Joseph, the conspiracy against him, the contradiction, not from his enemies, but his own brothers. Martin Luther King Jr. received a letter that eight pastors wrote to him while he was in prison in Birmingham. His brothers. When he received the letter, April 16, 1963, he wrote back to them. And here was his words. The judgment of God is on the church like never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning in the 20th century. Every day I meet young people whose disappointment with the church has turned into outright disgust. That's what he wrote. That was in 1963, and it sounds like he wrote it yesterday. Because somebody stand up, stood up, and said enough with the polarization. Enough about you making your comments on Facebook in ways that polarize people instead of integrating the body. Your social media has become your weapon. Now you get to express your opinion. And I watch blood-bought, sanctified believers daily post stuff that makes me lift my eyebrows and go, really? Why is there so much hatred in the heart of a person that is supposed to be born again until this nation is completely divided? Are y'all listening to me? We are completely divided and we've got hate, and we've got voices of violence. Not enough that the earth is yearning for the sons of God to be revealed. You see it in the fires of Australia. You see it in the volcanoes that are killing thousands of people. You see it in all the natural disasters. The earth is screaming, sons of God, stand up. State your conviction, not your preference. Line up your absolutes with the absolute word of God and not what you would prefer to see happen. Lay your agenda down and ask God, what is your agenda? Why is brothers fighting against brothers? What is this warfare with Cain and Abel? What are we doing to each other? Well, I stand before you as a man with his robe dipped in the blood of an unblemished lamb. And I declare and decree to you with an apostolic anointing over this church. This church will not be steeped in hatred, prejudice, racism, opinions that are opposite to the word of God. No, we will stand erect and we will call from a convicted heart that Jesus is Lord and he died to save us all that we are all tied together in a single garment of destiny. It's called mutuality. 
if it affects one of us, it affects all of us. And it is that kind of clarion call that will bring a body together and a congregation will arise that, listen, will bring forth a generation in this earth that will usher in the second coming of Christ and he will return for a bride without spot or wrinkle. I need somebody to thank God for the dream today because I'm almost done. See, Joseph never let go of his cause. You may be seated. Joseph never let go of his cause. Israel said to Joseph, I will send you to your brothers. And he said three words. Here I am. How many of you are ready to be sent into this generation to advance the kingdom of God? If you are, shout it, here I am. See, his anointing was to bring people together. Joseph was a pioneer. Joseph went along and he went first. But he went to lead. Psalm 105 verse 17 says he sent a man, speaking of Joseph, before them. He sent a man, speaking of Joseph, before his brothers. It's interesting because it's an apostolic term. It means prototype, to go first. My question to you is, why not you? Why not you be the first in your family? The first in your family to celebrate promotions like no one else has seen because of your discipline. Why not you be the first to not be addicted to some kind of drug? Why not you be the first to live a life of holiness before your family? Why not you be the first to turn an entire generation back to Christ? Genesis 45, 5. The Bible says, Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, now they are being reconciled to him. And you know the end of the story. The dream came true. The 11 brothers did bow down to him. The sun and moon obeyed him because he dictated the seasons. And he said, you're going to have seven years of plenty because of the seven years of famine you've gone through. That's strong, y'all. Watch what he says. Don't be angry with yourself that you sold me here, for God did this. See, if you can ever get past people hurt you, to God allowed it to happen. Because all things work together for the good of those that love God and are thee called according to his purpose. God still uses people to push you into your prophetic position in this earth. Preach on, Pastor Rick. Verse 7 of Genesis 45, Joseph looks at his brothers and said, God sent me before you to preserve you. You tried to kill me, but I'm here to preserve you. See, you are not of God if you turn what people have done to you back on them. You're tested with how you handle people that mishandled you. Your test really starts with how you handle people that have mishandled you. Watch what he says. To save your life and bring a great deliverance. So now, 
It was not you that sent me here, but God sent me here. That's strong. See, you weren't invited, you were sent. Let that rest on you. You were not invited here. God sent you here. And if you could ever get out of your mind that you were born and into your mind you were sent, then you would take another look and change your perspective of life completely. Because now suddenly you're on an assignment. Suddenly life becomes purposeful and not accidental. You stop living by coincidence and you start living according to cause. And you say God is sovereign over my life and I couldn't be here unless he sent me here. You are not being invited to this new decade. You're being sent into this new decade. Why would you enter the decade without a dream from God? What are you saying, Pastor Rick? Some of you used to dream of doing incredible things for God. But because of what has happened it to you in life, through people, it discouraged you to a point that you took your call, your purpose, and your dream, your vision from God, and you put it on a shelf. And you decided it's never going to happen. Well, I'm here to shake you and wake you and tell you to reach on that shelf. Get that dream back in your heart where it's supposed to be. And take a Caleb spirit that says, I might be 80 years old, but at 80, I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. Give me my mountain. I can still do it. I still have the strength. I still have the capacity. I still have the comprehension. I still have the call. God is not done with me yet because if he was, I would be dead and gone. The mere fact that you are breathing oxygen in your lungs right now is fact that God's call is still on your life.